With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Sky U Podcast by the Daily Gopher. I'm Chris, go away you fur. With me this week is Andy, Gopher Guy 05. So how many times is too many times in a row to listen to the Battle Hymn? Just, you know, asking for a friend. Uh, the answer is there is no such number in existence in this world. Uh, Blake, Iowa Gopher, is also here. Yay, football. Yes, I too am super excited. Uh, and you street. Hey, y'all. So, yeah, Blake alluded to it. There's going to be football on Saturday. Um, for those of you who have given up on the season and thought, mm, they're not ever playing again, uh, they are, actually. 11 a.m., Fox Sports 1, Minnesota will take on Nebraska in Lincoln. Um, I mean, God, I just really don't feel super... I'm not super hyped for this game, given that like 25 players are going to be out, and like I bet you the whole offensive line is like new people, you know, players who haven't played all year. So um, it could go interestingly. Um, I don't know. I, I just is anybody excited? Is anybody excited for this game? I'm excited about this game because there's a possibility that even being down 20 players and with a totally new offense line, defensive line. At this stage, like an entire special teams thing will have to switch, that Minnesota still ends up beating Nebraska. And I'm excited I mean, I'm for that possibility. Su- I'm super here for that. And my, I mean, I, you know me. I'm, I'm the, the bringer of, of upbeat and joy about, about football this year. But if, if you have to get something excited about, it's that Minnesota has zero expectations whatsoever in this game. And it's not totally out without the realm of possibility that they will beat Nebraska anyway. Andy, how are you feeling about uh, about the game? Yeah, you know, I mean, it. It to be perfectly honest, it, it's you know after not playing for the last couple of weeks and and getting a little bit more excitement from some of the other Gopher sports, it, it's really sort of fallen to the. Uh, to the back burner for me, I will definitely be watching, and I'll definitely be be rooting for for the Gophers to uh, do what they need to do to to beat Nebraska, to uh, not only keep the chair but oh, the the bragging rights over the Nebraska fan base. If you wanna if you wanna see Twitter explode at about two thirty on Saturday, if Minnesota can beat Nebraska soundly down twenty plus players, that would be just amazing. Um, but I'm also perfectly here for the fact that the Gophers may be so shorthanded that it gets ugly quick, and then it's just sort of like, yep, okay, yep, another another game. We got one more next week, and season's over, and all right, let's work on 2021. So um, I'm not nearly as invested as I was six weeks ago, but uh, I'm still hoping for a good game on Saturday. 
Blake, uh, I think I'm just going to take you right off of how excited you are and just mine you for information, uh, since that's what you bring uh, to the podcast. Uh, Nebraska's offense has charitably looked crappy a lot, turning the ball over and generally not you know converting when they needed to. It seems like they got things on track a little better against Purdue last week. How do you see Nebraska's offense matching up against Minnesota's defense? It's interesting. Um, that's probably the most charitable way I can describe Nebraska's offense this season. Um, they've had a game of musical chairs at quarterback um, between uh, former Heisman candidate Adrian Martinez <laughs> and uh, redshirt freshman Luke McCaffrey. Um, Martinez has managed to regain the starting role. He's actually had not too bad a couple games. I think the last couple games against Iowa and Purdue, he's like 41 of 50 for 416 passing yards and one touchdown. So, you know, he's not exactly lighting the world on fire, um, but he's, he's competent. He's, he's, you know, just kind of dinking and dunking teams down the field, which is a substantial improvement um, for the Huskers passing game compared to earlier this season. Um, he's starting to spread the ball out more. I think um, the Iowa game, at least nine different players recorded one, at least one reception. And then against, Purdue, seven different players record at least one reception. So their offense, they're diversifying in the passing game. Um, so it's just not a very explosive unit, but they're just a team that's just going to nickel and dime you down the field. Um, I guarantee one guy that is going to get a reception on Saturday, probably multiple receptions, is uh, sophomore wide receiver Wandale Robinson, who's basically their Swiss Army knife on offense. I know coming into this year, um, I think Scott Frost said he, he didn't want to see Robinson um, – taking a lot of snaps at running back. And lo and behold, he's been taking a lot of snaps at running back. Uh, not only is he their leading receiver with, I think, 39 receptions and about 340 receiving yards, he's also, outside of McCaffrey and Martinez, he has the most rushing yards on the team at 167. So it's not the most finely tuned offense, but they they got in a group against Purdue last week, so they're coming to the game a little bit better. Um, but really what, what they're going to do is run the ball, um, which obviously Minnesota has had uh, great difficulty stopping uh, this season. Um, but it's going to be a lot of quarterback keys, a lot of quarterback draws. You know, Martinez and McCaffrey are both number one and number two in rushing attempts and rushing yards for the Huskers. This offense runs through the quarterback position, and Minnesota is going to have to you know, keep Martinez in the pocket, don't break contain, and God knows who's going to have to do that because um, who knows who's going to be able to play on Saturday. But, uh, yeah, really task one for the Minnesota defense will be stopping the run and just ma- keeping Martinez in the pocket, forcing him to beat you. Um, you know, this isn't an explosive offense, as I mentioned already, but um, it's just you're going to have to force Martinez into making mistakes. You know, McCaffrey, if he was quarterback, he has a little bit more turnover prone. I think he has about five interceptions on the year. Martinez only has one. Um, so he's a little bit smarter with the ball, but they've also lost six fumbles, which I think is the second highest total of the Big Ten. So um, it's just going to be a, a case where Minnesota needs to stop that from sustaining drives, maybe force a turnover, which really hasn't been Minnesota's bread and butter on defense this year, but uh, something they may have to do on Saturday with whoever's on the field. All right, so Minnesota's offense, uh, Nebraska's defense charitably also bad for much of the season. Do you see, uh, you know, again, not knowing exactly who's going to play and who's not, Blake, do you, what do you see generally for uh, Minnesota's offense against uh, the Black Shirts? Yeah, the Black Shirts, they've, they've tightened up a bit the past two weeks after getting gashed by Illinois for 
believe, 280 rushing yards a couple weeks ago in that, in that shocking loss for the Nebraska faithful. Um, they limited Iowa to, I think, 129 rushing yards and that for about 2.9 yards per carry. Um, and Purdue had actually negative two rushing yards, but I think that was also more a product of Jeff Brown just decided to stop running the ball uh, at a certain point in the game. Um, but they, their defensive front has been getting better. Uh, it really starts with the linebackers. Um, Richards here, Jojo Doman is a, their most active linebacker, but they've also got a couple guys like uh, Richards senior Will Honus and sophomore Luke Reimer, um, who've actually who've, who were pretty key in bottling up the Hawkeyes' run game, which obviously Minnesota was not able to. On the defensive line, they got a couple of good guys. Uh, sophomore defensive end Casey Rogers was pretty stout against and did really well against Iowa's pretty vaunted offensive line, and he had five tackles and a sack that game. Then you've also got Ben Still, who had a big game last week against the Boilermakers with five tackles and one and a half sacks. So that defensive front probably a little bit better than you've, you've seen if you watched Nebraska earlier in the season. And um, honestly, the biggest surprise I was able to watch Nebraska Purdue was how well those how well uh, how well their secondary played against Purdue. Um, they didn't go the traditional route of trying to bracket David Bell or bracket Rondell Moore. They really put. Um, their cornerbacks, DiCaprio Boodle and Cam Taylor Britt, out on an island with those guys. And obviously, Purdue got their yards. David Bell, Rondon Moore got their yards. But I thought for the most part, their cornerbacks were aggressive and, and felt fared pretty well in coverage. So um, it'll be interesting on Saturday. For one, we know for sure Rashad Bateman is not going to be in the game. So it, curious how Nebraska plays that secondary-wise. Because obviously, they don't, have, they don't have to put... Much attention on him. I think. I think what what we'll see them do is again put those guys in man coverage on Chris Holman Bell, and Daniel Jackson, Seth Green, and force those guys to create separation and probably stack the box to stop the run. And if assuming Mohamed Ibrahim is there, they're going to try and get him the ball on offense. So I really think we'll see a similar game plan that that Nebraska implemented against Purdue last week, which was put your guys in man coverage, force them to break separation, then put guys in the box to stop the run. Um, and I think that's that's really what's going to come down to is can Minnesota find a, a reasonable threat in the passing game outside of Rashad Bateman, and are they going to be able to run against stacked fronts, not knowing who's going to be on that offensive line? So, um, yeah, in, obviously the recurring theme is a lot of unknowns at this point, but uh, I think we – I know at least what I think Nebraska is going to come to the game wanting to do. It's really just a matter of who's going to be on the field for Minnesota on offense and what kind of game plan are they going to come up with. It is Broken Chair Trophy Week. Chair, chair, chair. Uh, COVID uh, has sucked a lot of the wind out of my sails related to the chair as well. Mostly because uh, as it's existed in its first three years, the chair as a, as a charity uh, has been kind of a communal experience. Something that is not just about... Um, you know, the fundraising online, but actually the chair making its way through tailgating lots at both schools. And, you know, obviously, again, COVID, not just from a energy and presence perspective, a monetary perspective makes things a lot harder for folks. So, uh, but it is chair week. The fundraising is going on. They will not break records as they had each of the first three seasons. They set audacious goals and broke them each year. Uh, but they are still doing the fundraiser. Um and I guess, how does Broken Chair Week feel to you, Andy, in this new landscape? I mean, like I said, it, it it's, you know, it, it 
it'll be really nice to win, but to be perfectly honest, it's sort of taken a, a back burner hit for me. Um, and you know, if, if Minnesota does get their rematch against Wisconsin next week, which is a whole nother cluster that's completely up in the air. And we'll find out probably on Wednesday of next week who we might actually be playing on Saturday. Um, you know, even, even the axe is going to have a, a sort of a feeling of, eh, okay. You know, it's not nearly going to be as exciting as it was the last couple of years. Um, you know, knowing that Minnesota's missing 20 players, you know, I think rationally we're, we're going to be a fairly uh, steep hill to climb to try and get the chair to, to come back uh, from Lincoln. Um, but, you know, it, it's still a, it's still a trophy, even though it's not an official trophy and, and we all want to win the trophies and, and, you know, especially with Nebraska's fan base, we'd love to love to be able to just sort of hold it over their heads, what we do. So, um, I'm hoping that the the chair can remain at uh, at the U of M Masonic Children's Hospital for the next year, but uh, you know, I, I guess I'm I'm not terribly confident about that uh, that outcome on Saturday, but we'll we'll hope I'm wrong. All right, so if you're still confused about the history of the chair, I don't want to just go on a long uh, long winded explanation here on the podcast for anyone who's not super familiar. But we've got great stuff up on the blog um, about the the history of the chair, how it fits in with uh, Flex Culture. Uh, I have a, reposted a podcast I did in 2018 with one of the folks behind the Broken Chair Trophy, and that's still going to be uh, uh, topical and interesting for anybody who hasn't heard it yet. Uh, and you can always go to brokenchairtrophy.com to get your donations in. Remember that there is a contest for who, quote, wins the chair, uh, between, um, uh, in a way, in a way, not, I mean, the, the winner is based on the game, but there's still bragging rights on the line for who raises the most money right now. Nebraska is ahead by about a hundred dollars, $1,600 to $1,500. Uh, so brokenchairtrophy.com, go get your donations out there. If you are able, <sighs> the big 10, um, what the fuck are you doing? Big 10. So in not shocking news in any way, OSU, Ohio State, has has been catered to, and they will be headed to the uh, conference championship game against Northwestern in place of uh, Indiana, who they did beat, but they were ran afoul of the Big Ten's number of games rules for the COVID season, and they just waved them and put Ohio State there. I mean, I guess no one's really shocked does anyone have strong feelings about it? If I was an if I was an Indiana fan, I'd be pretty upset. Their athletic director handled it well, but um, strong thoughts from any of you, or we all just kind of go, "Meh, this is what we expected." I mean, it it is to be expected, and I, the reason I I feel I don't think it makes the season a joke because it's, to me the season was already a joke, and for that reason, I, that's why I have kind of a May reaction. And I mean, the the Big Ten's reasoning was that. Um, Looking at it, if Minis- if Mich- no, if Ohio State had played this weekend and still lost Michigan, they still would have been in the title game because they would have had the tiebreaker for Indiana. So, I mean, I I feel a little bit bad for Indiana just because the way the rules were set earlier in the season, that's the way it should have unfolded. But, I mean, at this point, the season's just a joke, and they want Ohio State in the playoff. And, um, I mean, it is what it is. But, yeah, I can't say I'm up in arms about it because I just think this whole season's just been a mess. And I'm not, not trying to... St- steel streets bit um to be take a turn to negative town but yeah i to me i've really soured on the season i I feel like i was probably the most 
enthusiastic person about football coming into this year, and it's really just sapped my enthusiasm, especially the last two weeks of just like cancellations and COVID, and the Big Ten is just a mess at this point. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to, looking forward to, to it being over. And I mean, we'll see how Ohio State does in the playoffs. I mean, I guess they got to beat Northwestern first, but uh, yeah, I think in the long term, uh, I mean, this season's just a mess, and. I mean, I, I don't blame the Big Ten for making that decision, and I, I'm just looking forward to moving on, I guess. Yeah, you know, I'm sort of in the same boat. I mean, I predicted last week that this was going to happen. It's not really surprising at all. The Big Ten needs to try and make as much money as possible by getting Ohio State to the playoff. That's what happens. Um, you know, but it, it's still going to be the ironic part that if, if Northwestern gives them a game and say Ohio State, well, by chance if they lose, but even if they only win by a touchdown or something, and the committee thinks that Texas A&M would be a better thing, where you know we go through all this and Ohio State ends up number five, and then it's uh, all for naught. You know, that would be that would be pretty ironic at this point and only really appropriate. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm I guess you know slightly more positive on this just for the fact that it opens up a decent shot at if the Big Ten wants to be creative and smart letting Minnesota and Wisconsin play next week knowing the way the Big Ten is they'll make this decision and then they'll still say that no everybody else has to have a crossover game so Minnesota will be stuck playing Michigan State probably in a game that literally nobody will care about um but we'll see what happens. Like I said, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how fast the Big Ten can get their crap together and make some decisions. And obviously, uh, you know, one would hope that they're ready to make decisions by end of Saturday night and to who who is going to face off against who uh, in a week. But um, we all know that uh, COVID obviously is going to have a big issue with both Indiana and Purdue getting shut down this week. Um, you know, there's two more potential teams that uh, that might not even play next. And Michigan. and Michigan. Well, Michigan's still down. This would be week two for Michigan. So in theory, if you if you do the you know what everybody else, it seems to be two weeks is the is the turnaround. So the Wolverines might be ready to come back next week. But um, if Purdue and, and Indiana do get hit, they're probably both out for uh, for next week as well. So that takes out a few teams that would have uh, decent crossovers. So. Um, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see what happens, but uh, hopefully if, uh, you know, I obviously I'm I, at this point I'm sort of team chaos, so I kind of would actually love to see Ohio State sort of flub their opportunity and, and go down. But uh, from a financial standpoint, I think, uh, you know, everybody in the Big Ten would like to see Ohio State do as well as possible because it means more money coming in. I don't know. I'm still hashtag chaos season. I there's there already is not enough money it's like two million dollars that's not going to make that much difference god i love i love college sports two million dollars it means nothing what a, what a what a world what a, what a world we live in um okay uh, for all those who have not been paying attention we are a hockey blog we really should be opening and leading with hockey um but enough of you still care about football that we try to you know fan service you uh, the hockey team is still undefeated, swept Michigan, scored many goals, allowed very few. I'll be honest, I didn't get to watch either, either, either game. Before we turn it over to Andy for kind of a, a recap of why uh, this team is fantastic right now, I want to have a Blake step in with his I don't know enough about hockey question. 
Yes, I've held on to this for a couple weeks now. I originally had it prepared for um, the week of the Wisconsin game after watching the season opener, but uh, obviously football happened, and um, I was blocked out of the, the building for re- podcast recording the past two weeks. But uh, my question for Andy after watching uh, a couple games of, of Gopher Hockey is, uh, in regards to line changes, is there, a, is there a specific time in the game when you're allowed to make a line change? Are you, is there moments where you're not allowed to make a line change? Are you limited in the number of line changes you're allowed to make? So it's really just the concept of line changes that I'm interested in learning more about. Well, uh, while, while play is going on, you uh, you can make as many line changes as you want. Uh, the biggest key is is making sure that uh, as as you go to the bench, your replacement does not step onto the ice unless you are within five feet Um of the bench. Otherwise you can do what Michigan did twice last night and get called for too many men on the ice penalties, uh, which Minnesota took advantage of with at least one power play goal. Um, you know, during, during stoppages, uh, for the most part, you can make changes. The only, uh, the only restrictions on that, are if you have just iced the puck, um, you are not allowed to make a line change as well as I believe, I think there's a couple of the rules, hand passes and, and things like that, where you're not allowed to make changes. Uh, otherwise after any whistle, you're, you're free to do, uh, whatever you want to do. Um, you know, hockey shift changes usually during, during open play, you like to try and switch up the lines about every 30 to 45 seconds. Um, but you know, it all depends on where the puck is. If you're, if the puck is down deep in your defensive zone, you could be out on the ice for you know as long as a couple minutes, and that's when bad things usually end up happening to you. So you you, you don't want to have that to be be the norm. Honestly, thirty to forty five seconds seems like so fast to me. I didn't even realize that they would happen that quickly. Yeah, I mean it's 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 all about you know basically. Sp- you know, you're basically sprinting on skates. You're basically sprinting for 30, 45 seconds, going as hard as you can, and then head back to the bench and you get a two or three minute break and then you, you do it again. Um, and obviously, you know, it's all up to the coaches and matchups, how they want to do it. Um, you know, obviously, you know, four, four lines and three defensive pairs is this, the standard. Um, and, and obviously your, your first line is generally going to get more shifts than your, your fourth line is. Um, but you know that's one of the advantages that Minnesota has this season is they've got significant forward depth, whereas they're getting scoring from their fourth line regularly. Minnesota's fourth line is I would say I would put it up against any fourth line in the country. Uh, the Gophers are getting scoring from the top to the bottom, and so you know with with Bob Moscow he's not afraid to run four lines all game. You'll see some teams that have less depth, especially in a close game in the third period, and you'll they'll just double shift the first and second line sort of repeating boom 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 boom. You know, obviously Minnesota being 8-0 this season hasn't had to do that and and they've got that forward depth that uh, you know in only rare occasions I think that would that would happen. I think I think for the most part Minnesota will be running all four lines for all three periods all season long. Oh, you're welcome for that transition, Chris. Uh, for the record, <laughs> yes, that I was I was actually going to say that worked out rather nicely. Uh, so obviously, forward depth one of the positives the Gophers have this year. Um, honestly, it seems like the the defensive depth is okay too. They were out there pretty much three best def, uh, defensemen who uh, all had to go for the um, to the U.S. camp and, and quarantine uh, for the Michigan series and. Uh, the guys who stepped in who hadn't played, um, I don't, I don't recall you seeing any massive praises, but they did not uh, cause any problems. And I think 
when you have guys stepping in like that, that's against a team with the offensive power of Michigan, albeit again shortened by the by the uh, uh, national team camps. Seems like defensive depth is is probably pretty good too. Yeah, Minnesota's starting six defensemen. This is arguably the best defensive core the Gophers have had in years. I mean, I'll say going back. 15 plus going back to the the two national title teams in the early 2000s um yeah minnesota's top three defensemen uh ryan johnson and uh jackson lacombe and brock faber all missed this series they're off with the u.s world junior national team uh just down the road honestly in 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 uh michigan uh quarantining and practicing before they hopefully head off to the uh, world junior bubble in edmonton this weekend although that's definitely becoming uh more of a question mark as a lot of the european teams are having really bad COVID issues at the moment so uh whether everybody can actually get in the bubble on by sunday as was planned is is a very much a question mark at the moment but um yeah no i mean i i thought that that was going to be a uh, something to worry about this weekend and minnesota got outstanding play from their other three defensemen who who normally see the ice uh for Freshman Mike Coaster got his first game, uh, first goal uh, tonight in the game against the Wolverines. Uh, Matt Stodicker is a sophomore from Michigan. He's brought a little bit more of a, a physical presence to the game, and, and he's been really good. And then uh, Ben Brinkman, the uh, junior from Edina, uh, came back after missing the Michigan State Series last week, played both games. All three of those have, have really stepped up their games and played. But, yeah, uh, I thought some of the younger players, uh, or not even yesterday younger players, but other players who, who hardly seen the ice might have been more of a liability. But uh, you've got a, a freshman in Carl Fish and then, uh, Robbie Stucker, who who saw some time mostly on power plays for the Gophers last year, um, they both played pretty regular shifts. Um, and then Sam Rossini, who is a senior who only played two games last year for Minnesota but played more his freshman and sophomore years, um, also stepped in and, and played that 6D role. Um, you know, they, they didn't screw up. That's the – I mean, it. you didn't need them to be, you know, all Big Ten defensemen, but they didn't screw up. Um I, I was worried, you know, coming into this game, uh, Jack LaFontaine, the Gophers goaltender, has been uh, one of the best goalies in the country, and I think part of that has been him and part of it has been the, the defense in front of him. Um, he did what he did all season long so far. He only allowed one goal uh, on Tuesday and then shut out, got his second career shutout, second shutout of the season against Michigan here Wednesday, winning 4 nothing. So uh, LaFontaine has been Absolutely amazing. He leads the country in saves percentage. He leaves the country in goals against average. He's currently allowing one goal per game. I I don't know the last time you can say through the first eight games that Gopher goalie has been that good, if if ever. I mean, he's been amazing. Uh, he was the national goaltender of the month for November, and frankly, even though Minnesota won't play again until sometime in January, he's got to be probably the leading candidate for the national goaltender of the month in December. I mean, he's been that good. So, yeah, I mean, this Gopher hockey team is by far the best team we've had in years. Um, you know, I think the they're at least the best team we've had since probably the, the early 2012-ish year, the uh, the Bugstad, Rao, and Adam Wilcox years. Um, but I would say even, I think they're even better than that team so far through the first eight games. I'd, I'd compare them with those uh, those early 2000s title teams. Uh, they have depth. They have skill at all positions. Their goaltender is standing on his head. Um, it, it's really exciting to watch, and it's unfortunately a shame that now to the weird Big Ten schedule and things like that, we won't see him for at least three weeks, probably close to a month. 
That is a long break for the one team that's that's been truly exciting. Uh, normally we'd have, well, not normally, but we would definitely have something to talk about for the women, especially last week with the border battle, but that was postponed due to COVID. Uh, this weekend's series against, uh, sorry, uh, Ohio State was postponed due to COVID, but they scheduled a game against, uh, or series against Mankato, is that correct? Yeah, they, they you know, Minnesota, as we, if you remember hearing, we, we were saying that the Gophers were going to have the hardest part of the schedule early as they're getting all their tough teams, Wisconsin and Ohio State, out of the way. Well, Wisconsin, Ohio State, went screwed that up by both getting COVID. Um, so, I mean, Wisconsin basically has shut down their season. The Badgers have only played two games this year. They've missed their last three series due to COVID. So uh, they're going to be in a bit of a hole. But, yeah, so it, it sort of puts a, a damper on the Gophers. But they, they and the WCHA were able to move things around. So instead of Minnesota not being able to play until 2021, um, Minnesota State Mankato, they were free because Bemidji State had to cancel on them who they were supposed to play due to COVID issues. Um, so they were able to match those two teams up. So the Gophers and the Mavericks will play uh, Thursday, Friday this week. Um, if I remember off the top of my head, I think Minnesota has not lost to Mankato State in nearly 50 games. Uh, I believe all time the program, the Gophers are something like 92, three and one against Mankato. So, um, I'm expecting two pretty easy Minnesota wins this week and, uh, they'll stay atop the WCHA as we head into, uh, 2021. Both the second half of the WCHA and Big Ten schedules have been promised for the last two or three weeks. We keep hearing they're coming, they're coming. Um, we don't have anything of yet. So hopefully we'll get those schedules here in the next week. Uh, so we'll have some idea of who, when, and where uh, our Gophers will be playing in, in 2021. But, uh, you know, it'll be uh, – both both teams are going to be great down the stretch. So now you just hope that they can they can avoid the COVID woes and, and hope that, uh, you know, this will be a season that they actually do get to have a national tournament because I think arguably, um, you know, they're, they're both top – three or four teams in the country and both on the men's and women's side. So it should be an exciting uh, rest of the hockey season to watch. Alex, I don't think you get to come in with as many superlatives uh, related to basketball five and O, but kind of a up and down meh start in many ways this uh, far into the season. What, uh, what worries you most about the Gopher basketball team? Oh, they can't shoot. That's the thing that that should worry you about the team for the last couple of years outside of a player here and there every game most of the outside shooting something i would be very happy to let minnesota honestly shoot wide open three pointers and just pack the paint as a team minnesota is going to be most successful the men's team is going to be most successful when they have the ability to spread the floor such that marcus carr can take his defender off the dribble one-on-one in that situation, Minnesota is going to beat a lot of teams if that's what is going to occur on the offensive end of the ball. Defense has been pretty good this year, but the problem Minnesota has found themselves in, they found themselves against Boston College being down 15 points at the under 14. If there isn't the shooting there, if that's not available, two things occur. The first problem is that Minnesota just will struggle to get any consistent offense. But the second problem is that if you are a defense, in this case Boston College, your only thing that you have to worry about is making sure that Marcus Carr doesn't take his defender one-on-one on the dribble so you have someone to help him. As long as you do that, Minnesota is a rather pitiful offense. 
Yeah, they're definitely not beating uh, Duke, albeit I think this year's Duke team is probably down quite a bit. I mean, at this point, you said last week, I think that if the Gophers went 2-4 and four in the first six games of the season, we should be pretty pretty darn happy. Do you Can you even predict that they'll pick up a single win on, in the murderers row that they face in the first six games? It's hard to tell, honestly. Right now, if, if they have a performance like they had against Boston College in sort of the first half, no, I don't think you would bet for Minnesota to win any of those games. At the same time, this is also a team that does have an awful lot of talent and can score in bunches. And the open question is whether or not they're going to make shots or not. So the two-part answer to your question was if you wanted to go to Vegas and put down the modal score, I don't think I would I would put the over-under at one in the next six. However, there is a conceivable shot that they'll win a couple more than that. If Minnesota goes four and three in their first seven Big Ten games, you can start imagining what it would be like to travel in March. Oh, to be able to travel again. That would be that would be glorious. Uh the Women, since our last pod, have struggled is charitable. Can you kind of walk us through what the what the women are facing right now? They are turning the ball over too many times and not making a whole heck of a lot of shots. It's actually, honestly, the the women's the women's woes is pretty easy to to define. They they had a lot of players that were out for COVID related reasons or other assorted injuries, and that cut into the practice time at the beginning of the season. So some of the struggles that Minnesota is having is integrating a lot of new players, the the women in this case, integrating a lot of new players without a whole lot of practice time. On the other hand, there really is no excuse for playing any team on your home court who is not a top five basketball team and losing to them by 20, 30 points, which is what they did. In their second game of the season, and as we recorded this podcast, Minnesota was playing and was down at one point 15, 20 points to Michigan State, so for a similar reason. Can't shoot the ball, turning the ball over too much. I think for both teams, the primary woes are frankly fundamental problems, and that is both a, a negative in that you would hope to not be worrying about those kind of fundamentals at the level they're at, but also a positive in the sense that a lot of that is fixable. And it's fixable to have better understanding where players are on the court so that you don't just randomly throw the ball out of bounds. It's fixable to get more comfort with people such that your defensive and offensive rotations are crisper. It is hopefully fixable to learn how to shoot the ball over the year. In the uh, good news, bad news, as we're looking, the game is still going on right now. There's about a minute left in the third quarter. Uh, It's a nine-point game. The Gophers have clawed their way back uh, down 66-57. Uh, the bad news is, uh, arguably, their well, for sure their best uh, post player, arguably their best player, depending upon what you do, Kadi Sissoko, has just left the game with an injury. Uh, she landed on a Spartan player's foot, coming down, trying to catch a lob pass, um, and she has not returned yet. So uh, you hope it's just a tweaked ankle and she'll be back. 
but uh, she's she's been out now for about three or four minutes and uh, ha- has not come back into the game. So, uh, you know, that that's that's not going to be helpful if, if she's out for an extended period of time because Minnesota legitimately has no other inside game other than her right now. Um, it, it's pretty much a, a guard game between um, Sarah Scalia, who's making her first uh, appearance uh, this year after missing the first couple of games with presumably COVID, and uh, Jasmine Powell, the the sophomore point guard, um, who's got offensive skill. I mean, she has 16 points so far in the game, but she's also erratic. She has six turnovers as well. Um, so she likes to force things a little too much, and especially if she feels like she has to take a little bit more of the load, I don't think that's going to uh, end well for the Gophers. But um, they've, they've got some things to figure out. Um, you know, I think they, they have a little bit of more practice time coming up. I believe they're, they're big 10 schedule. Now they're in the big 10 schedule. That's all that's left. They're not playing any more non-conference games. Um, and it's a little bit more spread out here in December. So hopefully they'll have some, uh, some time to try and get some team practices in figure some things out and, and try and get better as we, uh, as we move into the late part of uh, December. What is it with fucking ankle injuries this week? Just don't get hurt, people, please. Obviously, the players don't control that. It's just COVID and then regular injuries. Just not a not a great combo. All right, share week prediction time. Uh, I'm going to pull a score completely out of my ass. I haven't thought about this at all. Um, Scott Frost seems to struggle with close games. So if Minnesota wins, I suspect it'll be close. Minnesota 27, Nebraska 24 is my prediction. Just homer it up. Uh, Andy, how about you? Yeah, I I legitimately don't have any idea. I mean, I the last two Nebraska games, I think, have been completely diametrically different. I think in, in, in 2018, we went into Lincoln thinking we had a good chance and got absolutely blown out. Uh, in 2019, I think we thought it was going to be slightly more of a, a closer game, and then we absolutely blew Nebraska out. So um, I honestly don't know what to expect. Um, you know, uh, you would you would assume with the, the Gophers' uh, issues, uh, Nebraska would have the advantage, but uh, I just want to see a really good Nebraska meltdown. So uh, I'll take Minnesota. Um, let's go... 33 to 28. A very common score, to be sure. Um, Street? Bad guys win due to Minnesota having playing functionally their second team the entire game. The score will be farther apart than it should be. Husker fans who are trolly will view this as a deep accomplishment and they will be wrong. Truth. Very true. All right. Well, you know, sports are still going. So if this is something that gets you enjoyment, make sure you're, you're tuning in because the Gophers, at least for hockey, have a, a really great team um, for both men and women. And uh, while you can't tune in for a while, uh, it'll be something to ring in your new year with. Basketball, well, hopefully they'll turn it around. And football, uh, just everybody make Nebraska fans sad. Wash your hands. Keep distance. Go Gophers. Sky Yuma. Row the boat. Mm-hmm.